Hey there, poem casters. Welcome to an extra episode. That's exactly what it sounds like. An extra episode. So last week we came out with an episode on kind of the basics of patient assessment. So we thought we'd give you a little bonus episode, kind of going through with Mike a couple of different kinds of these patients and getting his thought process. We're going to relook at what we talked about in last week's episode with Mike on basic patient assessment and go through just a couple patient scenarios with him on how he'd assess them in real time. First, let's recap on what was said last week. So really quickly to summarize, we have a primary survey, or our first pass, which includes LOC, ABC, meaning level of consciousness and airway breathing circulation. We then go on to the secondary survey, or the second pass. And this isn't focused on the diagnosis, it's focused on why we're here in the first place. We get a working history of what's been happening with the patient recently. So we look at anything that will change their immediate care. And then we move on to the tertiary survey, or the third pass, where we tie up all the other loose ends. We learn everything else about the patient. We sit in front of the computer and learn about the patient, learn their previous medical history and what's been going on in their hospitalization. We also reassess the patient. Are they responding to the treatment we've given them so far? We follow up on labs and imaging from our secondary survey. We constantly reassess the patient. Go back to the primary survey if we need to and go through the three steps again. So let's hit a couple of quick examples and, and kind of show what this is like in real life. First, uh, we should be doing this for every patient. If you start doing this for every single admission, every new patient you see, then it, it will just be embedded in your mind. And when you need it, you'll have it rather than having to try to jump into it, especially since it's not embedded in our training enough as it should be. So, Mike, you get a call. Hey, is this Michael? Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is Mike Burton with the critical care team. Hey, I got a, I got a lady for you. Her name is uh, Phyllis. I think y'all know her pretty well. She's been in y'all's unit a couple of times. Oh no, Phyllis! Phyllis, back. So she she comes in this time. She got a three day history of cough. It's it's worsening over the last three days. Uh, she got a Z pack by a primary care provider a couple of days ago, and just not really getting any better. So she says she feels pretty bad, but she looks okay. All right, sounds good. We'll be down there to see her in a second. So my first reaction here is this is probably a pretty stable patient, probably just an admission for bronchitis. Probably go down there and right. get admitted. I think I know what's going on okay. here. Okay. Right. So you come see the patient. What's your first step? So despite assuming that this patient's pretty stable, of course, I think we've all probably been burned before. You walk into a patient you think is going to be stable or the information you got was that it wasn't all that bad. And you walk in and the patient's pretty much unresponsive and needs to be intubated or mm-hmm. pressure recycle 60 over 40. And this isn't just a run-of-the-mill pneumonia. This is septic shock and developing ARDS for pneumonia. So I always start with LOC and ABC. So first thing I'll probably do is just uh, say, hey, Miss Phyllis, how you doing? And see if she responds. Does she respond? Hey, Mike. Hey, Mr. Burton. All right. So my assessment right off the bat is the patient is alert. She's protecting her airway. And since I don't think I heard any abnormal sounds of strider <laughs> wheezing and uh, her position of her airway looks normal, so I'm going to assess that uh, her airway is open and patent. <coughs> the boom A is done. I don't feel so good. All right. So before I start inquiring about why she doesn't feel good or asking her questions, I want to stay on task here and, and uh, try to assess her respiratory rate and the amount of her chest rise. Uh, what's her respiratory rate and is she, does she have adequate chest rise? <laughs> 
So you look at the monitor and the respiratory rate says 21. All right. So, of course, the respiratory rate on the monitor is it doesn't always tell the story. So I'm going to look at the patient and actually count uh, her respirations. And um, it looks like she has adequate chest rise. So I do think she's breathing adequately. If I have uh, a pulse ox up on the screen, that's great. Um, do we have a pulse ox on the screen? Yep. SAT is 91%. 91%. All right. I can live with that for now. Of course, I kind of want to know how much oxygen she's on to know if it's on a non breather and she's sat in 91%. That's a little bit different story than if she's 91% on room air. So what type of oxygen delivery device is she? She is on three liters nasal cannula and it's currently off her nose. Okay. All right. So she's getting intraocular oxygen <laughs> at three liters. So uh, anyways, I'm happy with this right now. So I think want to move on to C. And actually, while I've been, uh, you know, counting the patient's respirations, I've also had my hand on her radial pulse. And do I feel a good radial pulse? What's the quality and the rate? It's bounding, three plus. All right. So we have a good bounding radial pulse. And the patient's mentation seems to be appropriate. You know, um, for skin color looks good. Again, I'm going to make the determination this patient does have good perfusion. And I would say my past one is complete without identifying any life-threatening illnesses. So Phyllis, you know, she thanks you for your time. You admit her to the pulmonary floor, and she's starting to feel a lot better with the duoneb you gave her. But she says, my husband, Phil, he, he's coming too. Uh, he hasn't been feeling too hot. So Phyllis is correct. Her, her husband, Phil, is currently admitted uh, to the medicine service on the floor, and he just had a rapid response called on him, and the stat team nurse is going to be calling Mike. Critical care, this is Mike. Hey, hey, Mike, this is Rachel. This is one stat team nurse. I just, I just started here at the hospital. I'm calling about this guy named Phil. He's on the floor. He has a history of cirrhosis, and he doesn't look too good. You know, I, I, he just he ain't breathing too great. I just want to see if you could come see him. Yeah, sounds good. If you can start maybe working on an ABG and a chest X-ray, and I'm on my way up. All right, I'll do that. So uh, I've arrived on scene here and um, kind of rendezvous with the that team nurse at the doorway as we walk in. Um, can I get a general impression of the patient? So you walk in. Um, he is slumped over. He has a gray tinge to his skin. There's no vital signs. Rachel, the stat team nurse, couldn't get a good blood pressure when she tried using the manual cuff. They aren't able to get a good sat because it won't pick up on the pulse ox. That's what you got so far. All right. So first thing I'll do is walk you know, pretty much straight up to the patient here. And uh, basically check his response in this. First thing I'll do is just, you know, shout his name. Phil, Phil, can you hear me? When you say his name, he wakes up slightly. He opens his eyes and he turns toward you. But he does have a, a good amount of copious secretions and a slight gurgle. Okay. So I've assessed that his, you know, mental status is, GCS is probably above eight. He's responsive to verbal. Of course, assessing his airway here, it appears to be open. Of course, I'll keep it in a neutral position. But uh, due to what you're describing, I'm going to try to set up suction or order someone to set up suction at this point and um, start to clear his airway. So we get suction set up and kind of suctioned out the gurgling from the airway. Do we seem to have cleared his airway or do we still have something? We still hear some pretty copious secretions and you notice that he has a slight edema on the outside of his neck. Okay. So at this point, I'm probably just going to delegate to the respiratory therapist um, that's in the room to you know continue to try to suction their airway. Do I hear any snoring that would indicate that his tongue's occluding his airway at all? You don't hear snoring. No, okay. But I do hear air movement, correct? Uh, yes, Mike. So we're going to continue to try to clear his airway. Of course, taking note that he has swelling on the outside of his airway that may make me think that we need to intubate sooner than later. But for right this second, we're moving air, so his airway's open. It seems to be patent. I'm going to assess his respiratory status. What's his respiratory rate, and what's the quality of his chest rise? 
So the nurse counted before you got there, and it's about 12 breaths per minute. Um, he has a slight chest rise, bilateral, okay. equal. So he has bilateral chest rise um, at a rate of about 12. At this point, I'm probably just going to throw him on a non-breather. Of course, I'm going to have the RT, um, make sure we have a bag valve mask here. If the patient, you know, is respirations become any more shallow or any slower, probably going to try to assist his ventilations with a bag valve mask. All right. And I'm feeling for a radial pulse at this time. Do I feel a radial pulse? It's weak, but there. Okay. So a very weak radial pulse. Um, and his skin color and capillary refill time? So skin is a grayish tint. Uh, capillary refill is slow. Okay. So I'm kind of making the assessment right off the bat before any vital signs that the patient is not perfusing all that well. Do we uh, have a set of vital signs yet on the patient? So they're finally able to obtain a manual blood pressure, and it is 98 over 42. Um, they don't know a map. His heart rate's roughly 47. Okay. So patient's slow and is is perfusing. Technically has a solid blood pressure greater than 90, but I think his map probably be less than 65. So at this point, I would probably go ahead and start treating the blood pressure. I'd probably get liter of saline hanging and go ahead and have some basal pressures being prepared while I start my way into this second pass, which is probably to start off with a, just a general history, full set of vital signs, and then you know some initial labs, of course, hopefully concomitantly it's being drawn for a glucose and an ABG with a G8. How long do you think this would take you in real life, if it's a, a real scenario? You know, I think to work through all the things that we just said here, I think I could probably get through most of all that in about the first minute. Of course, it's a dyna- dynamic situation. You know, as long as I have the personnel here, then I can probably do some things all at one time. I could probably probably be clearing the airway at the same time that we're getting some more IV access at the same time that we're getting some vital signs. But I think it's important to understand the limitations of the resources you have. If I only have one or two people in the room, you know, I may have to make sure that I don't, we don't get ahead of ourselves. We can only do one or two tasks at the same time. And so if, if I give someone five or six tasks to do, uh, they may prioritize that themselves. And, and maybe they start working on an IV before they actually get a blood pressure or before they, you know, get the, um, you know, something else that's more important. So I think it's important to prioritize the tasks and then delegate those one or two at a time um, to make sure they're done and executed in the order that we think they should be executed. But I would say probably about a minute. And then I would probably, hopefully by this time, have some help there. If I didn't, I would, of course, be calling out for some help from my team you know, charge nurse, more stat team members and stuff like that so that we can, you know, work through this swiftly. Absolutely. My end thoughts on this, I, I still think this is super important. I'm glad we talked about it. It is just a total mental shift from how we're trained. And my take-home point that you just reminded me of, I think I probably falsely assume that I can switch back and forth from being an HMP detective and getting into, you know, kind of patient assessment, primary survey stuff when I need to. And so you just reminded me that I should do this for every patient, including my bronchitis admits uh, to make sure. So that was really helpful. Thanks. Yeah, it's impactful for me every time I teach this to, um, a, you know, a new hire or a student um, that it takes me, you know, a good 30 minutes to talk through all of this. And, and then, you know, as we practice it throughout the you know rest of our shift on every single patient we come in contact with, um, it's such a simple concept, but actually, you know, takes a lot of active thought to happen. And, um, 
I agree. I think we assume that we can do this or do do this, uh, but uh, it actually takes some active thought to make sure that happens. I was saying just being intentional about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that's easy to forget too. Once you begin to rely on experience or on familiar situations, you've seen this before and you kind of get tunnel vision and you assume something when really this helps prevent that. Yeah. And I think the uh, reason I kind of like a good flow, I mean, I know ABCs are, is a little bit of a cliche, right? But at the same time, you know, when it's three o'clock in the morning and you're tired on day, you know, night shift day five, um, you know, maybe you hadn't had your coffee yet and you're pretty busy and you get called. I mean, I'm working through this the same way every time. And so if you, you approach it that way, then it'll help you not miss that when you're tired and stressed and overloaded. Absolutely. Until next time. Keep reading, keep reading, keep streaming, and assess your patient.